Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. The passage today is only a New Testament reading due to its length. If you need to be seated at any time, feel free to do so. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find the text on the screen. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, she saw the linen cloths by themselves, and she went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with him, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, 
Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. High atop Cordova Mountain, above the city of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, towers Cristo Redentor, Christ the Redeemer statue imposing figure, 90 feet tall, 1,320 tons of reinforced tile, one and a half miles above sea level, the head alone nine feet tall, wingspan from fingertip to fingertip, 63 feet. One can only imagine what it's like to stand in the city and look up. Master Cato, pastor and author, notes two ironic features of this statue. If we can go ahead, Tim, and see the close-up, thank you. Still probably from the distance, difficult. You might notice on the outside of the chest, a valentine-shaped heart. You can't see this, but if you can get closer, the eyes are blind. Blind eyes, stone heart. Lucado wonders what kind of redeemer is this? Heart? made of stone, held together not with passion and love, but by concrete and mortar. What kind of redeemer is this? Blind eyes, stony heart. Certainly not the one encountered by these two relatively anonymous figures 
on the road to Emmaus. Our Christophe presents her has eyes wide open and heart stirred with compassion to come to these two men on their way out of Jerusalem that first Sunday. And they knew, obviously, all about the events that had transpired in Jerusalem. It's all they could talk about it. Picture the scene. The cross had taken their self-proclaimed Messiah. His followers all scattered. Peter, Peter defected. We are privy to the scene of two grief-stricken men feeling the weight of it all every of the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And suddenly, Jesus himself joins them. Are you at all acquainted with grief? For the longest time, my household was not. And then suddenly in 2014, and you all know the story, it began an acquaintance with grief that became compounded after Josh died with Nancy died. I want to tell you, Jesus comes to those who suffer loss. He seeks out those who lose the nearest and dearest. He finds his way to them. I said it over and over again. Grief is great. Grace is greater. You do not know until you must walk that road. Jesus comes. Now, look at verse 16. This is startling to me. But their eyes were kept passive voice, prevented from recognizing him. God had some other sovereign purpose that they should not recognize him immediately. He would teach them something they needed to learn and hold back the surprise, the joy, the delight. Oh, he is risen. No, they have no clue yet. Jesus will seem hidden to you at times. You'll wonder where he is. Wonder if he's good. Wonder if he's in control and you'll be kept from recognizing him because he has other purposes for your heart and mind and life to embrace. 
he does just that for these dear men. He engages them, quizzes them about their conversation. They're blown away. You're the only one who hasn't heard about this? Everybody knows what happened. They fill him in. Feel their despair. Verse 21. We had so hoped that she would redeem Israel. We pinned it all there. And now it's gone. They doubt. They had heard the women report. We've seen him. He's alive. Nah, it to be, can't be true. They had not yet seen him with their own eyes. Now, fix your eyes on verse 25. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones. From engagement, question, now rebuke. But in tenderness, he doesn't say, You fools. These men had cast their lot with Messiah Jesus, they had set their hope on him. They're believers, but they're languishing in unbelief. They're struggling with doubt. Anybody in the room who doesn't relate, their hearts are slow to get up to speed with what God is doing. And Jesus takes them to task, but gently, oh, fool. How did he say it? <laughs> what was the tone of voice? What were the looking at his open eyes and Soft heart, oh foolish ones. Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he schools them in Old Testament 101, verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I want you to imagine this is the road to Emmaus. You're on that road. You have your hopes, you have your dreams, you have your aspirations, you have your hurts, you have your losses. In this message, through the preaching of God's word, Jesus comes to you. He engages you. He's he's seeking to draw out your heart and say, what's in it? How is it? Is it slow to believe what I have for you? 
Is it struggling with doubt that I'm good? Is it perplexed and perhaps withdrawing from me rather than pressing in? Oh, foolish one. The greatest impediment to your intimacy with me is your unbelief, your slowness of heart to which we are all inclined because we see through his last darkly, Paul says. Jesus will not let you stay there. He will come and speak to your heart and draw you out and even confront and rebuke your unbelief without faith it. It's impossible to please him, the writer to Hebrews says. Those who seek him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, let this message come to your unbelief and slowness of heart and bring a passion to burn again. That's my aim. Here's my theme this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus transforms spiritually slow hearts into deeply burning ones by revealing his resurrection glory. We're going to zero in on verses 28 to 35 where the light goes on for these two men. Wherever you are on the continuum, hard heart, I hope nobody's there, completely shut down to God and his purposes. Let's assume that we're all at least somewhere between hopefully slow of heart, struggling perhaps, but we, we want to be as far over here to passion and burning heart the testimony of the two men after Jesus departed. What what was not our heart burning within us when he spoke his words to us? What will it take for us to move? One, seek his presence. Two, hear his word. Three, share his message. Those are the three things, so much more in the road to Emmaus' account. But what I will highlight are these. Seek his presence. Hear his word, share his message. First, seek his presence. Verse 28, they're nearing the destination. Jesus shows no intention of stopping. Keep on going. Verse 29, look at it with me tells us how the two reacted. But they urged him strongly. Wow. What a vivid term in the original text. It carries notions of force applied to constrain compliance. In other words, they twisted his arm. Puritan commentator Matthew Henry says, 
both of them laid hold on him with a kind and friendly violence. Wow. In other words, they wouldn't take no for an answer. Stay with us. Pleading, begging. This is his way. He will not force himself on you. He will come. He'll engage. He'll even open your eyes. You want intimacy. You want partnership. You want closeness. You will have to move toward him. Oh, this is so plain in the text of Scripture. Abraham constrained the Lord at Mamre in that pre-incarnate manifestation, that Christophany, Genesis 18, 3, do not pass by your servant. Lot appealed to the two angels to spend the night in his house in Solomon. Genesis 19, 1 and 3. Verse 3 says, she pressed them strongly. I love the story of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. She's a Gentile. The Jews were not fond of them. She overcame a puzzling, hard-to-get attitude on Jesus' part with a relentless campaign for mercy culminating, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. That, your intensity? Is, is that a fire in your heart for closeness to Jesus? Jeremiah 29, 12 to 13 offers this promise, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Consider these words in Revelation 3.20, Behold, Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Not uncommon for us to have an eagerness for Jesus on Easter Sunday. I love preaching on Easter Sunday. I never give the day away because attendance is always highest on Easter Sunday. Hallelujah. So glad you're here. How eager are you on the other 364 days? For this one who died, was buried, rose again, is now seated on high, and wants your heart, all of it. Is it slow? Or is it being fast? Is it eager to fly open that door? Yes, come in and dine with me. And is not a good meal with someone, perhaps the occasion for which so much intimacy can happen? You know, the only other illustration that has two parts that I can think of. Is, you know, I, I remember when I first fell in love with Nancy. 
in my youth, my beloved first wife. And anybody who's gone through this, you know what it's like. You just cannot stand being away from the person. And you stay way too long at night when you're dating before you get married. And it's just like you're constantly trying to strategize ways to get time together. Now, I never imagined in my lifetime, who would have thought that the Lord, in his sovereignty and providence, would take the wife of my youth. That was inconceivable enough, but... But then, in my latter years, I'm going through this whole deal again. I'm, I'll be 66 in September. I'm running around every day like a teenager. I, I tell Jane all the time, I hate being apart from you. I want to be with you that much. Our anniversary dinner last Sunday at Chef's Open Table, that wonderful certificate your sister gave, was so special because I'm with you. Now, I'd like to tell you, I'm way over the top with the Jesus about that, but I have to admit, I struggle. But can we not take a lesson from the kind of intimate affection that comes in a marriage or in the best of friends when they die together? There's something of an eagerness that we're to have in our pursuit of connecting with Jesus. And know how eager he is for that. And don't you think for a minute that something you have done makes him reluctant. That's what the cross was all about. Whatever your shame, whatever your foul-up, whatever your worst nightmare of a choice, If your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, then it's paid for. It's dealt with. And he will not hold it over your head. He will welcome you. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Let this be our first thought, that we give Jesus, a lodging in our souls. Be this our morning prayer. Abide with us. Abide, stay, make your home. Be this our evening petition. Abide with us. Be this the prayer all day long. Abide with us. May we resolve that under no circumstances will we permit our souls to be at rest unless we rest in him to be happy except he shall be our joy. Oh, do not let us treat him so badly. Are there other objects beneath the sun or above the sun, on earth or in heaven, that are worthy to come between us and Christ for a single moment? Will a wife treat her loving husband with coldness and then excuse herself that she had other matters on her hands? It may be so, but never, never let the Lord's regime treat their redeemer as though he might be left in any hole or corner. 
till a more convenient time. Slow of heart? Heart of flame? Seek his presence. Stay with me. Come to me. Abide with me. Second, hear his word. Verse 30. They reclined at table. This is so sweet. Jesus assumes the role of host. He serves them, O foolish ones. I love that passage in the Gospels that says, even in the kingdom, when all things are made new, he will serve us at table. That's how relentless the Son of God is at attending to our every need. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it, served them. And at that point, verse 31 says, their eyes were open. They recognized him. Maybe they had been at the feeding of the 5,000. And that triggered them by the way he had fed miraculously and had blessed and broke the bread. Maybe as as he took the bread and and broke it, they saw saw the nail-scarred hand. And that did it. But something about the meal, the intimacy, saw him for who he was. Mission accomplished, vanish. Where did he go? Luke doesn't tell us, can I have a little more info, please? How did that happen? Not the writer's main point. What's the main point? Verse 32, look closely. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. One of the hardest things about preaching through Genesis, which two weeks from today, Lord willing, I'll return to, and yet one of the most exciting things, where in the text is God Revealing the Son of God. Jesus pointed them to their Bibles. All they had was the Old Testament, law, Psalms, and prophets. Here's where you'll find me. It's all about me. I'm written on every page, in every shadow, in every feast, in every sacrifice. Look with your eyes and see me. Behold my glory. It burned within their hearts. Oh, oh, to have Jesus your own disciple-making tutor. It was, as Hebrews 4.12 says, this word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
carefully into the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thought and intentions of the heart. Was to them, as the prophet Jeremiah in 23, 29, like a fire and a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It was to them, as it was in David in Psalm 39, 3, my heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. The Christ of God is revealed in the word of God. The Christ of God is revealed in the word of God. And that's, I think that's the first time I've done that since Nancy died. And Jan and I, Mary, Jan and I were away last weekend for our anniversary. Even though our hearts were here in many ways about what was happening, we wanted to seek the Lord for what he has for us in our next season. And, you know, I'll, just be, I'll be blatantly honest with you. I can get really anxious about it. Now, the oddity with that is, in my adult life as a Christian for over 40 years, I have never known what was next in leaving something and going on to what the Lord had. It's always been a by-faith thing. And I should tell you story after story from going to seminary in California to taking the church there, then to coming here, being sick, and then to going to Idaho in 98, and then coming back here. I've never known. And yet God has always done amazing things in providence and relationships. And I'm sweating again. <laughs> so i got to share this with you. I'm, I'm at the riverside last weekend, spending some time alone with the Lord, and I felt like he directed me to Acts chapter 23. Now, you don't have to turn there. This is one of those great stories in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's, he's in prison in Rome, and 40 maniacs among the Jews decide that they're not going to eat or drink anything until they kill him. For conspiracy to take Paul's life. You probably have read and heard that story. Well, I'm reading through that. You know, okay, it's good stuff. Right? And then I get to verse 16, and I stop dead in my tracks. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. What? The son Paul had a sister? The son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul's life is saved through a nephew that has no name. I've read that chapter, I don't know, a hundred times? I've never saw that before. At the river's like, Hef, what are you worried about? I have a nephew somewhere. <laughs> They're trying to hear about you 
and you're slow of heart and unbelief. And he's trying to go to the barracks and tell the centurion. And that's going to cause all of these people to come into play, horsemen and soldiers and nighttime deliverance. You'll be okay. And I, what's my point? A seemingly innocuous, otherwise unseen verse in all the Bible Burns in my heart. I could not wait to talk to Jan. Did you know that Paul had a sister? And a nephew who had the sister of the bears. And I thank the Lord for being patient with my slowness of heart. When I encounter people pastorally who are slow of heart or worse, right on the edge, I've had some say, I'm either closer I am at the hardness of heart. I always ask the same question. Are you spending any time in God's word? Invariably, the answer is no. I've given away more Bibles, texted more scriptures, done anything I can to get people into this word. Because as John Piper writes appropriately, the common path to sure knowledge of the real Jesus is this. Jesus, as he is revealed in the Bible, has a glory, an excellence, a spiritual beauty that can be seen as self-evidently true. It's like seeing the sun and knowing that it is light and not dark, or like tasting honey and knowing that it is sweet and not sour. There is a direct apprehension that this person is true and his glory is the glory of God. So are you seeking? Are you hearing? Slow, slow of heart? Burning with passion, heart on fire, hear his word. Third, finally, share his message. Wow, these two guys have had a light lit under them. They don't hesitate. Doesn't matter the hour, the danger doesn't matter, the convenience doesn't matter. They can only do one thing, leave and head back seven miles on foot. Jerusalem. Why? Why? To seek out the eleven and give them the good news. He's risen just as he said. He has come to us and opened our eyes to his resurrected body. They get there and find the eleven talking about the same thing. The Lord is risen. He's appeared. Even to Simon. Simon? Yeah. Even to Simon. The, the threefold Defector and denier of Jesus. The great redeemer, Christo Redentor, Jesus seeks out the despicable defector and restores him. The road to Emmaus is good news. The women at the tomb, who were among the most disenfranchised people in the first century, to whom Jesus first appeared 
It's good news. The disciples hiding in the upper room out of fear. It's good news. The cooking of breakfast for Peter at the seashore. It's good news. Why? Why? Because the sovereign, glorified, holy, crucified, dead, and buried Christ comes and speaks to you and me. Peace be to you. Peace be to you. There are no sweeter words. He comes to us no matter how unworthy and opens our minds to his words saying, thus it is written, verses 46 to 48, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. When you move from slowness of heart and making a path toward a fire of heart, it is further set on fire by sharing with others what he has done. You know, I, I went through my jaw surgery process with a man who preceded me with the very same procedure about six months ahead. And over the two plus years of doing this, we both had tongue cancer, both had hyperbaric dives, and I met him in hyperbaric, and we became friends. And we would periodically get together and share notes. Well, we are both now done. Different end games, but we're both done. We stayed in touch. So a couple of weeks ago, we finally got, we got together to compare notes about having finished. And I prayed, Lord, give me the boldness to share the gospel. I had touched on it in various ways, shared my story, but I had never just flat out told them the good news about Christ dead and buried and raised from the grave. And it actually happened. The Lord opened the door wide. And oh, the thrill of sharing the good news again with somebody. I gave him a copy of two ways to live. You and I are always on mission. Wherever we are, in the places where we live, work, and play, you want to keep adding fuel to the fire of your heart's relationship with Jesus, then look for those opportunities and seize them. Only you know this morning, as we finish here, how slow to fast, where you fall. You you can do business with Jesus who's come to you this morning. Say, Lord, I admit slowness. I, I want to learn to pray, abide. I want to have prayer watch with you. I want to journal. I, I, I want to dig more into your word. I want to be more faithful to put myself under the priest's word. I, I need your help. I want to have the courage to share the message. Do a work in me. The risk you have today is that this has been an Emmaus road for you. That Jesus has come to you in my flawed efforts to preach and to say, I love you. I've given myself for you. I want to be in close intimacy. Fly open that door. Ask me to come in. I'll dine with you. I'll intimately fellowship with you. But you, you, should, you should go out from here today and let him go on ahead of you. Don't do that. If you need help, come and pray. 
if your life is happy, you have two ways to live. If you're not sure whether you know him the way I've been talking about now, come, I'll be happy to share one with you or some other resource. Your slow heart. I don't care how many times it's been slow. And you sought for the Lord to increase the fire again. Let this be a day in which you gave him to that end. This glorious resurrected Jesus. Father, take your preached word, we pray. Penetrate our hearts. Please don't let any one of us go away complacent about that condition of our hearts and just let you go. Oh, to press into you strongly. Make our hearts burn new and afresh, and in all I have is Christ's passion.